Welcome to America's Tap Rebbitsons. May this class be for Rafu Shalema, for Esther Rebecca, Avraham Ayer ben Razel, Moshe ben Root, and also for Shmuel ben Yitzhak. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Tap Rebbitsons YouTube page, or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you are the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. I'm honored to have on today's show, Rebetzin Haya Teldin. Rebetzin Haya and her husband, Rabbi Tuvia Teldin, were sent by the Lubavitcher Rebbe to Long Island, New York, to establish a Chabad presence and to help spread Judaism throughout the Long Island Jewish community. Rebetzin Haya has been an instrumental part of the growth of Chabad on Long Island. She, she was a co-founder and the program director of the Chabad in Center City in Comac, and she was also the headmaster of the Jewish Academy in Comac for 14 years. And she currently serves as the director of major events for Chabad of Long Island. Rebetzin Haya is a sought-after speaker. She has given lectures across the United States, as well as in Australia, England, Ireland, South America, and Israel. Wow. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. A pleasure. So uh, you pretty much covered it. Um, we've been on Long Island since 1977. Uh, we were originally on campus in Stony Brook. Oh, wow. There was a missionary group that was sent specifically to the Stony Brook University campus to target Jews. I'm happy to say that they left and um, it, it's been forward ever since. We have 55 uh, Shluchim couples on Long Island now and about 40 centers. Wow. And it's amazing to see the growth of Chabad on the island. That's beautiful. I love that. And, you know, Long Island, people think it's small. It's actually a very, very big place. It's very long. Yes. <laughs> it goes from the border of Queens all the way to the end to Montauk. So it's really quite large. Yes. Yes. Um. So, so we're going to talk about a very deep topic today and one that I think will touch a lot of the listeners today. Um, I understand that you lost a several a child several years ago, and I am so so sorry for your loss. I can't I can't even imagine how difficult that must have been. Thank um, you. It was a difficult time for you and your family, and I just wanted to see if you can please tell us what ex that experience was like for you, and also what you learned from it. Okay, so um, our oldest son was born with cystic fibrosis. It's a dreadful uh, lung disease. It was before the establishment of really uh, genetic testing, in a sense. So um, we had no way to know beforehand. There's no trace of that in our families. And um, you have to learn to live with either an ill child and try to make them normal, or a normal child who happens to be unhealthy. And we chose the second path. We tried to raise Baruch as a normal kid, the oldest of five boys. And um, I think we were pretty successful in that. But the nature of the illness is that it gets progressively worse. Uh, shortly, a year before his bar mitzvah, had a double lung transplant, which was very new at the time. And it enabled him to celebrate his bar mitzvah, which we called a celebration of life. Amazing. And then organ rejection set in and um, passed um, at the age of 13. So it impacted us, it impacted his siblings and the community at large. Um, being rabbi in Rebetzin, you often live, I would like to say, in a fishbowl and everybody weighs in and is watching to see what, how, what's, what's the Torah way of mourning. Yes. Um, so it was 
quite the challenge. I learned that men and women process things differently. My husband recently published a book that he started when Baruch passed away called Eight Paths of Purpose, which was his journey, his his dealing with anger and grief and 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 divine providence and coming out of it. And I process things differently. I believe that, not that my husband did not or does not, but God runs the world and we were privileged to have this soul with us. Baruch was a funny, a funny kid and um, had a pretty much a positive attitude. So I'm grateful to have had him in my life and the ripple effect of his life is still influencing many, many people. Wow. You know, I love, I love your perspective. You look at, you look at it from the positive side, you know, you're not, you know, you're not deep in depression, which many p parents could be and understandably so. For sure. For sure. It, you know, at Baruch's Bar Mitzvah, he, which he wrote his own speech, he said, we all have tests in life. My luck, I got a big test. And I think that's how he looked at it. And, and um, somebody during Shiva said, oh, maybe it would have been better if he hadn't been born. And I thought, oh, oh my gosh. gosh, oh my gosh. Like the world is a better place because, because he was here. Right. And um, thank God now many years later, I have a number of grandchildren who bear his name. So that is for sure a source of comfort. But um, it was a test in life. God didn't ask us. And um, the best way to face a test, I think, is, is head on as opposed to avoidance. And I like that. So I want to talk about that a little bit because there's so many people who are listening now, either maybe they have just lost a loved one and they're, or they're going through a major test. You know, just like you said, this is a test just like any other. Maybe, I mean, it's a bigger test than any other, but it's it's a test, like you said. Right. So I want to see like how, I know that men and women process things differently and I totally agree with that. So I want to first focus on how you as a woman process this. You know what? You can either swim upstream and protest and be angry with God and, and, and fight it or say, okay, God, let me not sink into despair. It's bad enough that he passed away. I, I, don't, I don't need to be a wall as well. I, I want to show up to live my life. And I hope, I pray that it has made me more sensitive and more um, intuitive person. Now I used to perhaps I'm embarrassed to say cross the street when I saw somebody who was going through a challenge in, in my youth and um, not know what to say and not know um, what to offer them, I would cross the street. And now I, I don't do that. And I have respect for people who do do that because they, they are bereft of the tools or the words because there's really nothing to say in the beginning. Right, right. And then, wow, that's very powerful. I want to process what you said for a minute. You know, that you didn't that you didn't give in, and you just can you can you talk about a little bit more about like the how you process the emotion? Like, I really want to try to paint a picture for somebody who's going. I want to give the person who's going through the test right now, who's listening to this, like the tools. Like, I, I want to paint like a deeper, broader picture for them. So, first of all, there's an expression: "Let go, let God." Yes. And if I think that I'm running the world, I'm making a mistake. Okay. If I think that God made a mistake and he doesn't know how he's running the world, we are all in deep trouble. So I have to assume, at least this is what works for me, that God knows what he's doing. I would not have been able to bear the 
knowledge at the beginning of our journey um, that it was going to end, you know, when Baruch was 13. So God doesn't tell us. Right. And I do believe that he gives us the ability to pass the test that he sends us. Now, you can't do it alone. You need a good support system. That could be one friend. That could be one shoulder. But it's so daunting to think that you have to go through this, um, through any test yourself. So if somebody is being challenged, speak out. Find someone who can walk the walk with you. They can't they can't feel the same emotions, but you don't have to be alone. Someone is walking next to you. And sometimes that's God <laughs> because we look around and everybody else has sort of stepped back and, and you can walk the walk with God actually. Hold on, hold on on top and we don't, we don't stumble down here. I really like that. And I really like that, that you're, you're, encouraging people to seek support and it doesn't have to be like 10 people and a whole you know oh. army it could just be one person and that Absolutely. could be your comfort and support yeah you know? yeah yeah i also am a big believer in what we call hashkocha pratis or bashert or divine providence and i know it sounds like a joke and i've said this so many times since i've heard it but what is one word that god never says good question oops Wow. There are no mistakes. You're right. No mistakes. There are no mistakes. So it must mean that I am meant to experience this. That person is meant to experience their test on their end. But this is part of my destiny. This is part of my package. And I really feel if I dig and I search out my, my, um, life jackets, you know, people who can help me, then I am going to be able to weather the storm. And that's beautiful. I never thought I would be able to laugh, dance, smile. But you know what? Here I am years later, and I can celebrate life in its fullness, all the while having a part of my heart that is that is sad. Right. Wow. That's strength. That is like the definition of strength. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and now I'm wondering what, in contrast, you said that your husband handled it differently. So I'm just, I want to also get the, the male point of view. How, how, how did he grieve? Um, he went, he went inward. I think for men who feel they are supposed to be the protectors of the family, yes. even though he, he didn't, he, he did all he could do because this obviously came from God and this was God's decree that, that he live only 13 13 years and change um in the beginning my husband felt perhaps like he, he did something wrong or he didn't seek out the tools or he couldn't protect and um it, it's not true in fact after Baruch passed away that summer my husband was in his in Baruch's room at night um saying the evening shema before he went to sleep and I heard him crying and I was, I was so pained by that. So I went into the room thinking I am going to save my husband. And he asked me to go out. So first my ego was like, oh, really? You're, you're sending me out? But then I realized, give the man a break. He's allowed to mourn exactly right. how he, he wants to. Nobody defines um, the, the proper way to mourn. And I think that's very, very important to give each other space 
to express their feelings, and he did it through writing. Right. And, and what, what is the name, the name of the book that he wrote? Eight Paths of Purpose. Eight Paths of Purpose. Okay. Thank you. I will um I will, will write down the name of the book in the podcast description. So oh, if people want to order it, they can. Beautiful. Um, beautiful. So in Judaism, we have a certain way that we bury our loved ones and also a special way that we mourn our loved ones. So I want to see if you could please explain the Jewish burial process and also the Jewish mourning process. Okay. Um, it is extremely important to send a person off on their final earthly journey in a, in a proper fashion. I'm going to say in a kosher fashion. A kosher means fit for use, appropriate. And death actually is the separation between body and soul, where the body we are going to lay to rest and the soul is going to continue on its journey. So there are many, um, many laws uh, regarding burial and most Jewish funeral homes will educate a person or share they have literature what is the proper way we do not cremate it is absolutely forbidden to cremate a person so I'm glad that you mentioned that I just you know and I just want to stop you for a minute just because I personally know of somebody who wants to be cremated, a Jewish person who wants to be cremated. And this is their wish and don't argue with me. And this is what I want and the whole thing. And no matter what you say. So how do you deal with that? So a few things. Um, it's bad enough in Nazi Germany that Jews were sent to gas chambers. Yes. Leave that self-understood. Yes. Um, the body doesn't belong to us. We have to return it the same fashion that we received it. That's another concept. Um, it is such a, no pun, but it's such a grave offense to be cremated that Kaddish, that Shiva and Kaddish are actually questionable. Right. Because they're, and your earthly remains are gone. Where is a mourner more comforted than being able at a certain point to go to a grave and have a conversation. The grave is the last known address. And if a person is cremated, they cease to exist in this world. There's no marker. They take up no space. And it is just so sad not to have a place. I call it a parking space, parking spot, no place to go to, um, to connect, even though we can connect in a, in a horror, in a, in a vertical fashion, because the soul is not limited to a body anymore. Right. So we can um, communicate anytime, anywhere, but cremation, not kosher. Okay. Okay. We, we bury, the person is washed and dressed um, and placed into a simple pine box, um, you know, paying for a $10,000 coffin better spend that money on your loved one while they're alive than taking that money and putting it in the ground and and covering it up it's um it seems to me so such a waste of jewish money to 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 do that um simplicity is the is the key here and the mourning 
with an OU grieving, the Torah says there should be a limit, meaning um, 30 years down the line, we should not still be wearing black and, and you know, tearing our hair out. There is a process, a life, a soul came into this world. Death is the initial wrenching of the soul from the body. Burial is the next step. Seven days is the next amount of withdrawal the, the soul has from the body. We then continue on 11 months. And then there's the yearly York site, the anniversary of one's passing, where the soul has an elevation on high. And everyone who was connected with that person receives that, that elevation. In other words, the string, we're still attached to that person. They're not... They, like in science, I'm not good in science, but um, energy, we just, matter cannot be destroyed. It just changes form. If, if I remember my science lesson, yes. um, it just changes, it just changes form. So yes. the soul and the body separate, but we're really always still connected, which is a beautiful thing. You want to, you want to connect to your loved one who's passed, call out, speak to them, say their chapter of Psalms, meaning if if the person would be currently 70 years in this world, so their chapter of Psalms would be 71. They've completed 70 years of association in this physical world. Same to a living person. You know, if you're if you're 70 years old, you've completed 70 years. Your chapter of Psalms for your whole year is chapter 71. Um, so each year on your birthday, it's a beautiful spiritual way of celebrating your birthday by saying your chapter of Psalms. And so uh, along the lines of that, because I do, I say Psalms um, exactly the way that you described. So for a person who passed away, so let's say they passed away at 70, and then you say 71. The next year, are you still saying 71? You no, just... you say 72, because it's not that they would have been 72, but their sphere of influence in this world is 72 years, because otherwise we will be saying, oh, they were really meant to live this long. So they were meant, nobody lives second longer than was decreed before their soul came to this world right. unless they did something incredibly great or god forbid shorter because they did something horrifically evil yes everybody's time is predetermined the question just is, life is what we do with 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 that time that's true. It's very, it's amazing. Um, and since we're talking about uh, um, Jewish burial, there's a concept of Hevra Kadisha. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to see if maybe you could talk about what the Hevra Kadisha is in terms of um, taking care of the body before it's buried. Sure. Hevra Kadisha means the Jewish burial society, the holy, holy, um, holy group. Um, the body is uh, treated with tremendous respect, always covered. It is washed in preparation for the final journey. Very often if a person comes in medically compromised or there's wounds or there's tubing or things like that, that's that's cleaned to the best of one's ability. Um, each limb is washed. The body remains covered, only exposing that limb or that area that is being washed. Um, there's no talking in that room. It's so godly there's absolute silence and all attention is focused on the deceased 
if instructions need to be given, then one person calls out the instructions. Um, the person is then dressed in shrouds, white linen shrouds, um, replicating the garments that the high priest wore in the times of the temple in Jerusalem. The body is then placed in a, in a coffin, covered. There's some dirt from Israel, a drop of dirt placed on the body. The body is, um, the, the lid of the coffin is put on and all the members who participated in that preparation ask forgiveness if they were too rough, if they weren't gentle, and then have their own um, um, au revoir, like, um, you know, goodbye. a goodbye, wishing them Godspeed and may their, may their transition be smooth and, and uneventful. It is such a dignified way of sending a woman off. Women prepare women and men prepare women, uh, men. So there's, there's another element layer of modesty. And I, I can't describe, there is such a presence of life in that room, not, not of death, but, but with, with tremendous care and devotion, sending the person off on their, on their final journey. Unlike cremation, which is painful, noisy, rough, coarse. If, you know, you can go on YouTube and watch actually a cremation. It's, it's not a way to send off our loved ones. It's not a Hollywood, like, push a button and poof, they're turned into, you know, ash. And then what do people do with their urns? You're going to give it to the grandchildren and they're going to move. And you know what? Eventually, that urn is getting tossed down. It's sure. not dignified. It's not holy. No, no. Um I thank you. Thank you so much for for comparing, contrasting the beautiful way that the Jews do the the burial, you know, and the the Hevrakadisha with the taking care of the body versus the cremation. It really, it really is a stark contrast. It really, really is. Yeah, we are so blessed to have this this process, and then to sit shiva where you're surrounded by friends and family and loved ones, and um, just dignified and psychologically beneficial and. Um, Listen, we wait and we pray for the times of Mashiach when death will cease to exist. Could you imagine that? So all of this will be history. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And then another thing, the, the Shomer, the concept of the show in the Hebra Kadisha, after every after the body's in the um coffin, is there a Shomer who just stays with the body? So there is um someone, if if the family requests, there there is someone who will recite psalms um throughout the night until the actual funeral which is again it's like a like an honor guard you know Lahavdil, the queen of england nobody left you know i don't know if you watch the funeral but there was a there were four guards posted the entire time it's just dignified really really is. very nice and that's right and i totally agree with it um and then i just getting a little bit into the mourning period the morning the seven days of mourning are called the shiva but I understand the first three out of the seven days of Shiva are the hardest, both for the family who's living and also for the soul who departed. Right. The soul hovers uh, close to the body um, as it as it withdraws in gradual in gradual stages. So just to go back to cremation, the soul is still very connected to the body then. So even though we think, oh, you know, it's totally separate, 
still this, it's, I don't want to say it's painful. It's painful. It's not, it's not a good idea. Don't, don't do it. Um, so the three days are, are very challenging. And unless you're close, close family, very often people don't visit until the third, you know, until the rest of the week. Right. Until, okay. And then after that, when you get up after the seven day, after, you know, so the seven days of Shiva, then there's something 30 days, 30 days from right. the day of the burial. Again, a, a gradual withdrawal of the soul from, from the body. And, um, and then we have horse Kaddish. We have 11 months again, gradations. And then the yearly yard site, the anniversary of the passing. And on the yard site, you like those little yard site candles. They come in little either glass um, right, jars right, or little mouth. Right, right, right. Because a, a soul is compared to a flame. It's always moving and rising higher. So um, a, a candle kind of, and after my mother passed away for a year, I kept a candle burning. And when I came downstairs every morning, it was like, oh yeah, hi, Ma. You know, like it was a reminder. It was a visual reminder. And I... It, it was comforting. And when the year was over, it's like, oh, I have to do this now on my own. Remember, remember her. That's very special. I really like that. The, to light the candle for the year. There's because there's certain candles, right? That burn, let's say for three days at a time. So it's right. not like you're lighting every day. Right. Um, and you were mentioning like earlier about the soul, like, when somebody passes away, you can still talk to them, even though they're not there in physical body. If you, you could be in an empty living room, for example, and you could talk to your mother, or you could talk to your son, and the soul will hear? Is that what it is? Absolutely. We are connected. And all, imagine that there's a dormant bank account that people can't make deposits. So the souls that have passed um, have that account, but they cannot do mitzvahs anymore. They cannot fulfill any commandments. So why, when you when you go to a synagogue, let's say, and you open a, a book, a prayer book, and there's an inscription, this is in memory of. So all the prayers, that are uttered from that prayer book, it's like making a deposit in that person's account. We can make deposits from here in their accounts. So all good deeds that we do, all mitzvahs that we do here, benefit the souls on high, which is pretty awesome. That is amazing. So even people even take on a mitzvah. Let's say after a loved one passed pass away, they take on a mitzvah maybe that they weren't doing before. Absolutely. And, and that, that helps the soul. Yep, yep. And it helps the soul, I guess, guide it higher, higher towards Shemayim. Is that what it's doing? Yes. Closer, closer to God. Right. Closer to God. Yes. Um, okay. So now let's get into some practical things. So quite often when people visit those who are mourning in the Shiva house, they don't know the right words to say. As you said earlier, somebody just said the complete wrong thing. So having been on the receiving end of words that were intended to be comforting, can you please tell us what we can say when we're trying to comfort somebody who lost a person that they love? You know what? The code of Jewish law actually suggests that we sit in silence, don't okay. say anything, and the mourner is actually the person who's supposed to initiate conversation. And if they don't, it's okay to just sit there. Now, I think American culture, we're very uncomfortable with silence. Like yes. we feel like looking at looking at doctor's office, everybody has to be on their phone, even if you're doing nothing, but God forbid, like so sit in silence, and if you don't know what to say, then say to the mourner, I am sorry for your loss. I don't have any words. I just want you to know that I'm that I'm with you. 
That's so beautiful. I think that says it all. I don't know what to say. There are no words. So just be quiet. <laughs> right. And you know, even first of all, being first of all, being there, showing up at the Shiva house shows the person yeah. that you care. That's number one. And number two, just sitting in silence gives them the space. So if they have something to say, if they want to say something, if they want yes. to cry, whatever they want to do, it gives them the space to do that. Yes. And in Torah, it's not about distraction. Oh, let me talk about this or this or this. No, we're here to, if they want to speak about their loved one. Share this, memory. This the, yeah, this is the opportunity. Or you can say, you know, your mother wants, or it's so nice. It's so comforting to hear for the for the mourner and if not then just sit silence that's very respectful beautiful thank you that's that's actually really really good advice so thank you um so there is one last question that i want to ask you um it's a very powerful concept that you mentioned earlier in judaism called hashgaha pratis hashgaha pratis like you said is also known as divine providence it's seeing god's hand in the events that happen in our life so I, I know that you mentioned it earlier, but can you please talk a little bit more in depth about Hashgaha practice and also give us some real life examples of Hashgaha practice from your own life? So all the souls that my, my kids, you know, our birth order, if you have boys or girls, you're married, you're not married, that is all divine providence because if God blinked on anything, we're in trouble. What kind of God is not present totally? So everything it says is predetermined except our fear fear of heaven, except moral choices. You know, uh, the birth order, where I grew up, none of that, you know, we, we have no choice, no say in. But how I conduct my life, if I'm a mensch, you know, ultimately you want to be a mensch. If you make moral, ethical choices if you generate goodness and kindness that is an area where we have free choice everything else is really kind of scripted you don't know that you're supposed to buy that house or that car or apply to that college or get that job you don't know that so you have to live your life but really do we have do we have free choice in that there's a, it's too long for this for this conversation but there's a concept from Rabbi Arye Kaplan of Blessed Memory. This week, the population of the world turned to 8 billion. Wow. Now, I want to get married. I need one in 8 billion. Yes. Seriously? So how many people in your life are you going to meet? Let's say a million. And I'm going to play by the rules, which means I'm female. I'm looking for a male. Okay? okay. So it's half. And I'm Jewish, so I want to look for a Jewish. We're one, I don't know, the point zero, I don't know what percent, but we're tiny. So from 8 billion, my my choice is, is that really free choice? And then I'm from East Coast. He's from West Coast. I He's too tall. I'm too short, too old. He's a vegan. I like steak. <laughs> All of that. You know, it, in the end, it's so providential. He just happened to be, and you were there at the it's really godly. So that had, there was no free choice. Did I have to date? Did I have to go out and yes, and say yes? Yeah, I have to live my life. But really, souls were meant to interact. That's from, that's from upstairs. So just be confident that you're living your life. You're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. Seek counsel again with friends or someone a little bit wiser. 
um, because we're not supposed to do this by ourselves. What is it? No man is an island. We're supposed to be um, contributing members of society. And in that, we should seek happiness. Not not to be tra-la-la happy, but really with a positivity bias, really with a with a good eye and know that there's purpose in our life and we're not alone. That is so beautiful. That's like such a take home message. We have a positivity bias and we're not alone and we have to contribute with kindness to our world yeah. and everything up, everything else is up to Hashem. Like you said, we don't plan anything. We just plan our, our conduct, the way are we going to conduct ourselves morally? Yeah. Are we going to be kind or how are we going to treat other people? That's in our control. Our thoughts, speech, and action, everything else, completely out of our hands yeah yeah spot on that's thank it you. that's that's the message thank you thank you so much Robertson Hyatt for joining us on America's Top Robert Simmons it was really really a pleasure to have you here today with us and may the tremendous learning that we did today be for Rafua Shalema for Esther about Rebecca Avraham Mayer Ben Razel Moshe Ben Root and also for Shmuel Ben Yitzhak thank you so all much again. all the best take care thank you